Audible Originals presents DJ Drama's Gangsta Grills Podcast. The following contains language and content some may find offensive. It do be funny when sometimes, sometimes you feel like the way somebody say OG be like, you trying to call me old? <laughs> right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, or, or what's the other one? Unk. Unk, Unk is another one Unk. that's a little. Unk might sound worse than OG. I don't like Unk. <laughs> I'd like to welcome y'all out. If you have a podcast, I apologize in advance. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been on vacation, but Loso told me I had to get back to work. So here we are. Welcome back to the Gangsta Girls podcast. Sitting on my side is a mixtape legend. Before me, during, and after. Loso, what's up, man? What's up, John? How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. You know what I mean? We just we just passed the uh what was it? The anniversary, anniversary. of TINC2. Yeah, that was what 13 years? Yeah, that was 13 years ago we did that. There is no competition or TINC. My first Gangster Girls mixtape collaboration with Fabulous came out in 2008, followed by TINC2, The Funeral Service in 2010, and TINC3, Death Comes in Threes in 2011. Wow, time flies. Ain't it bro. crazy? It flies. 13 years sounds so crazy. But um that also was a prime time mixtape time. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like 2010, anywhere between like the mid 2000s till about I feel like 2012, 2013 yep. was a mm-hmm. a real prime Mixtape time, you know what I mean? I take it all the way to like 2015, right before yeah. like streaming came into play. All right. So that's when streaming came into play? So 2015, I, I always look at it when when um, Drake put out, if you're reading it, it's too, too late. late. Mm-hmm. That was like the first like quote unquote mixtape to go to streamers. Okay. I think the mixtape, what qualified as a mixtape changed too in that era in this streaming. Mm-hmm. Because before that, you could, of course, do freestyles over other people's beats and you didn't have to like clear them mm-hmm. or anything like that. And I think once it crossed over to the streaming side, then you couldn't do those same kind of freestyles anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like, people would do freestyles, but it was just like they would just have a beat and freestyle over it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, right. But I think those are both. Two different mixtape like times too mm-hmm. to me. You know what I mean? A Drake, J. Cole, Kendrick mixtape era is kind of different from the Fab, Wayne, Jeezy, T.I. Well, you've I mean, you've seen a couple of different eras. Then that's why I wanted to get into with you too. Like, even for the majority of the guests that I've had on the podcast, the Gangster Grills was somewhat of like coming out projects where Gangster Grills was their platform to like, oh, shit, they're here. Mm-hmm. You're a little different because you you come from an era before Gangsta before Grills. That, yeah. When you were, by the time we, and I want to get to our Gangsta Grills, but you were already a mixtape legend. The first time a lot of people heard me was on a mixtape. I didn't come out like, I wasn't like the artist that somebody signed and then you heard them on their feature mm-hmm. or you, they just put out a song. I had about, I want to say two years of just mixtape grooming and freestyles, and I was fortunate to have Clue. DJ Clue. What I was doing down south, Clue was doing in New York long before me. 
DJ Clue is DJ at two of the biggest New York radio stations, Power 106 and Hot 97. And he's released dozens of mixtapes featuring the hottest artists in the game. A placement on a Clue mixtape could change your life. He's also the first mixtape DJ to ever go platinum. Clue would give me, you know, those freestyle, either open the tape. Well, I think I grew to be able to open the tape. At first, mm-hmm. I wasn't open the tape. You wasn't yet. in the yeah, one, two, three I, slots? Yeah, I wasn't okay. out there yet. So, you know, that was a big space. That was Hove, that was Nas. Right, right. That was, you know, those was those kind of guys getting that top spot. Right. And um, over time and gradually, you know, doing freestyle after freestyle on the tapes, I kind of at one point got to where Clue would start me with the tape, and mm-hmm. I was just like, all right. And I think that placement, you know, it's almost as cool as placement in a store where, mm-hmm. you, you know, you want your shit in the front mm-hmm. because everybody's going to see that one of me. And that's what kind of like that mixtape placement was for me. And um, it just grew from there. I think everybody would go get those Clue tapes over and over, and then I became like sort of a mixtape artist. And then it was ill as that. My first feature video and, you know, single that I was on with Little Mo mm-hmm. came from her hearing me on a mixtape. Little Mo is a singer, songwriter, and rapper from Baltimore. Her 2001 single, Superwoman Part 2, helped launch Fabulous's career. Wow. So it, like, transitioned me into, like, doing R&B remix. And then I, I did a couple R&B remix freestyles on, on tapes. his tapes too. Uh-huh. So maybe that also showed my um that I could do that too. But um but little Mo like kinda like handpicked me from a clue tape and was just like, yo, I like that kid that be on your tapes. And she gave me the shot and um the rest was history. So did did the Hot 97 freestyle happen first and then that's when you started to do clue tapes? Yep. That was absolutely first. In 1992, Hot 97 was dead last in the ratings among its New York competition. So they pivoted to hip-hop and R&B, spearheaded by DJ Funkmaster Flex, along with Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. No, not that Dr. Dre. Ed Lover and Dr. Dre from Yom TV Raps. The station's focus on East Coast artists helped bring in the golden age of East Coast hip-hop. So they somehow persuaded Clue to give me an opportunity to come up there and freestyle for them. Somehow he was like, yo, we coming back from commercial and I got my guy Fabulous Sport here. He's going to rap. And we had Noriega here. Nori was there. Nori, a.k.a. Noriega, was one half of the legendary hip-hop duo from Queens, Capone and Noriega, an incredible solo rapper and podcast in his own right. And you got named like, right there or that was already? I think he named, I don't, I don't even know if he knew my name. I think he... Called me that because put it in he rhyme. listened to a rhyme that I had, and uh-huh. I said something about fabulous, the fabulous vocabulous, and I think he thought that was my name. So he <laughs> ran after that. He ran around like, see, you know, calling me fabulous sport, and I was just like, well, do I want to change it or just, well, just do I want to correct the man or do you know what I'm saying? Or just run with it. So I just let him run with it for a second. And, and before um, that, what was it? Before that. I was just really running with my my neighborhood nickname, but I didn't feel like it was a good rap name. Okay. Like I had a nickname already, but People it wasn't to this day like still call you that. Yeah, Spiz and yeah. Sport. And like <laughs> and I just was like, that's not really a rap name. You know what I'm saying? So like even when he mistakenly gave me a name, I kinda adopted it kind of more because I didn't really want to use my hood nickname anyway. Mm-hmm. 
So but I wasn't sure about Fabulous either, like at that time. You know what I mean? I'm coming from Brooklyn, the hood in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, I'm going to call myself. But it was just like, yo, it got a ring to it. And then you did the spelling shit. You mm-hmm. did the F-A-B-O. And then the rest just was history. What's your earliest, like, mixtape memories from before even you being in the game? Um, Going up to the radio because his, his show was called... Uh, Mixtape Monday or something Mondays. like that. Mm-hmm. So I remember him kind of stamping that as his night that he was playing like raw talent and like people who were doing freestyles versus, you know, radio, especially in that time, was very radio. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the, his show was actually kind of like completely left of what radio was. So, like, people loved this show, like, to hear, like, you know, like, real mixtape shit, but on the radio. So that's one of the things I really remember how I looked up to that show, and then I was getting that opportunity, and then it was, like, a real next opportunity of actually freestyling. Then the opportunity put a cherry on top where I'm freestyling next to Nori. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this as really just an opportunity. I don't know it's going to lead to anything. I've had other little small opportunities about getting in rap, and, but I knew, like, this is Clue. This is Mixtape Monday. This is, like, things that are, like, you really can, like, say, like, all right, this is something. So to take it back, do you remember the first time we met? People's no. memory is always better. I don't know how I, I have a bad this. memory, so, like... It's actually crazy because it's, I think it was 20 years to the year. Mm. It was the first day of the Mix Show Power Summit in Puerto mm. Rico. I think I had just dropped Jeezy Streets is Watching, the okay. first Jeezy tape. Yeah, I had went down to Atlanta. I think I was just getting like booked for parties or shows or something like that. And uh, well, I had a show and then Alex booked me for like a party. And I remember in the party coming across BMF. BMF or Black Mafia Family, was an Atlanta-based drug ring run by two brothers from Detroit, Demetrius Big Meech and Terry Southwest T. Flannery. BMF was deeply intertwined with Atlanta's hip-hop and nightlife scene. The group spent money like they were the ones printing it. And they basically were, reportedly generating $270 million in profits. BMF expanded into entertainment, signing rapper Blue Da Vinci, and their extravagant lifestyle served as the backdrop for classic mixtapes like Jeezy's Trap or Die. That's where I put my ear to some Jeezy music, mm-hmm. and then that's when I um, got wind of the tapes. And then from that, you were the first person to put Jeezy on a album album. Yo, you know what's crazy about that? I never, like, stamped that as something that I was doing, but I see a lot of people who always say, yo, the first time I heard, like, I guess people up here in, like, you know, New York, they say that's the first time I heard Jeezy. You put Jeezy on or, like, you like I was like, I did not put <laughs> Jeezy on. Like, you know what I mean? But in their head, from them hearing it on Do The Damn Thing, they were just like, yo, who is this guy? Like, you know what I mean? They, they, they weren't from Atlanta, so they never heard of him. And I was just like, that's really crazy because... You know, he had his own lane and was doing his thing, but like they're saying, they heard it when it came into my world. So I had just heard him on Streets stuff watching. down there. Streets is watching. That was the first tape. Okay. So the, yeah, and then like their unreleased shit that they just riding around playing. And yeah, you was hearing. Okay. You was probably just hearing just stuff just from being yeah. in the circle. When it came to BMF, from up top, you was one of the few artists that kind of was around during that time. Like, from your perspective, what was that time space like? It was ill kind of how 
I met Meech and BMF just, like I said, going down to Atlanta and, you know, just partying in the club. But one of the connections that was made was one time I think they sent me like two bottles or something like that. And um, I remember coming over there to them and like, you know, just thanking them and saying, what's up, you know, some street niggas sent somebody. Well, I, I wasn't even used to that really. Like mm -hmm. nobody really had did that in that mm -hmm. era or time. So I came over there just to salute and say, what's up, you know what I mean, say thanks. Back then, I don't think the word was bougie, but I felt like I was being bougie if I just took the bottles mm -hmm. and just stayed over there in my world. So I came over there to say what's up and they just kind of was like real niggas. The relationship just grew from there and it was always solid. And, and it was just like a community of, of guys who was like down for each other. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a lot of things that I seen in that time, even how they were campaigning mixtapes. Mm -hmm. And like when Jeezy or Blue had something, they all, you know what I'm saying, had a CD and rode around with it and they all wore the t-shirt to go to it. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. just really like a, a real campaign and the music was like the soundtrack. And that was one of the few things, like you said, for me coming from New York, like I had never seen that up in New York either. Because they came across like, you know, I don't want to say nobody names in, in this, but he's like, yo, we send this person a bottle, that person a bottle. They be like, and just drinks. He said, some people won't even like uh, toast to us. They just pop the bottle like they bought it and just drink it. BMF began to disintegrate in 2003 when the Flannery brothers started feuding. In 2007, Big Meech and Southwest T pled guilty to running a criminal enterprise. In 2008, they were sentenced to 30 years in prison. But they weren't the only ones with legal trouble. In 2007, authorities raided my studio in Atlanta. I wasn't accused of selling drugs, though, just mixtapes. But at a time when the music industry was threatened by the internet and digital downloads, that made me a target. And my business partner, Don Cannon. But at a time when the music industry was threatened by the internet and digital downloads, that made me a target. And my business partner, Don Cannon, and I were both charged with bootlegging and racketeering under the RICO Act. I got raided in 07. Mm. And then mixtape game kind of chilled for a minute. Mm hmm and then we did our tape in 08. Um, the first one. Yeah. I remember you reaching out to me mm -hmm. to do the tape. What made you want to do a Gangsta Grills in a space where, you know, Clue was your guy? You know what made me really want to do it was because, one, of course, I knew the history from the other people you had did it with, uh, be it Jeezy or whoever. But also, I was trying to do a different style of mixtape mm -hmm. from what I've already been doing all those years with Clue and just do a freestyle here and this type of thing. And from doing the first Losos Way mixtape. Losos Way was an early Fabulous mixtape with DJ Clue that featured Fabulous freestyling over some of the hottest beats. The tape cemented Fab early in his career as a talent to watch out for. The first Losos Way mixtape kind of leaned me into doing it, making the mixtape more like a project. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were doing as well. So that's what made me like get with you and say like, well, if I'm going to do this mixtape and make it like a project and less like just freestyles and stuff like that. But I still was coming from that background too. So I, I felt like I still had to do freestyles and stuff because that's what my base and, you know, was, 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 was known of. Yeah. yeah, it was used to for me. But I still wanted to make it kind of like a project. I think the first one we, I slowly got, but by the second one, I was completely in theme and mm -hmm. like 100%. mapped it out and had promo. And like, you know what I mean? The first one, I was just like getting there. And then well, by the second one, we was like, all right. 
I think it was also us coming together for the first time. It was a, a new partnership in that way. Mm. And that's why I said by two, I was like, I got to level it up because I just want to go crazy with the theme and like really make it like a real project in the sense of like going to promote it. I'm going to play the part. And I think like everybody wasn't doing that with their tapes too. Like people would just do the tape and just drop it. Mm -hmm. What was dope about that, it literally was three titles. So it's it's a Gangsta Grills, mm -hmm. then it's a There Is No Competition too, mm -hmm. and then it's then have the, like funeral the Funeral Service. service right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So yeah, by then you was all in. One thing I remember about the Third one is, I think that was the first time anybody had really made me work on the holidays because we dropped it on Christmas, Christmas right. Day. Mm -hmm. By that Spent time, Christmas I had started Eve. dropping tapes on the holidays. Yeah, it was, I have, it was a holiday theme. I tried it once with either one of the soul tapes or something or, or one of the tapes, and it was just a big response. It yeah. was just because people go home for the holidays and like when you drop a tape, like, you know, school is out at yeah. this time. Everybody's kind of like in a chilling space. Yeah, so like I home and yeah. yeah. And it by just this point, we're all on the internet. Then you could even we're home. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So then I could like get even all of the the response back. I could see what people really thought about it. Is you know what I mean? Like it was such a big moment. So then that's why I had to bring it over to you <laughs> by the by the third one. I'm like, yo, we gotta drop this shit. On Christmas. Yeah, I worked all Christmas Eve. <laughs> I remember this because my family would be like, yo, you're working on Christmas Eve. You're like recording the night. I'm like, yeah, I'm putting out a tape. That's just what it is. I'm like, I'll be with y'all on Christmas, but Christmas Eve, I got to work. You know what I mean? It's going to drop tomorrow. And then I remember even on Christmas, you know, I had kids and I'm trying to make sure that their Christmas is right. But I'm like on my on phone, phone on the computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah like seeing it's trending. Yeah. 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 You so. would go to Twitter and you would see the hashtag. You were the hashtag king. Mm -hmm. That was a time, too. That was a, It's, it was it's a so time. crazy because that's a time where everyone within the game knows you and knows you a funny-ass nigga, but the mm -hmm. world, the world then, didn't uh, really find out till Twitter. Yeah. It was like... Twitter opened up my whole personality. I don't think my music or even my interviews or anything ever showed that side of me. And I think I'm pretty even reserved with just regular people that I meet in that sense, too. Like, I'll play and I'll joke with, like, like you would know because we, we have a relationship. But, like, just regular people, I'm not trying to show them that I'm funny. You know what I'm saying? Or trying to be funny with them in that sense. But Twitter... For some reason, it just opened the door for it for me. And people used to really like, yo, you're really funny on Twitter. And I'm used to be like, that was another thing too, dropping the mixtapes and then having the Twitter community and personality alongside with the tapes was also dope too. And I remember like, uh, you know, with you and, and with the tapes where sometimes like it was would take a little bit long and people would be on Twitter and then oh, they would kill me. Well, so that you. was the thing with part two. I, yeah. I think I had really gone on a vacation and something. He was like, bro, like we got to drop. And then we, we played into that in the tape and on social media. Bro, I don't even think like I was going on vacation in, in them years. I'm like, he was like, you, I'm on vacation. I'm like, what? What is that? What What's is this vacation? vacation? Who goes on vacation? Like, we in rap. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just do this shit. What was that, 2010? I yeah, definitely was wasn't going on vacation yet. Like, I probably didn't start going on vacation until like four or five years later. But like, yo, I'm like... Yo, he literally told me that, like, yo, I'm, on, I'm like, what? Like, I thought it was like an excuse or something, or like he was like curving it or something. I'm like, vacation? 
when it comes to your mixtapes, where do you rate them? I think why I think too, why there's no competition two ranks high with me because that was where I really tapped in as far as it becoming a collective project to me. Now, when I did soul tapes, that also was a different time where I knew how to collectively put a project together. I knew what I was doing. So I knew that I wanted to do a project over sample music because I felt like as the emergence of South music came, a lot of the sample East Coast feeling kind of joints had got lost. Got lost. And uh-huh. that's where Soul Tape came from. You know me and Soul Tape, I got to talk from a like it's, I'm growing. I was right. also getting older as they well. They felt very more personable than mm-hmm. a lot of your music. Yeah. Would you do another mixtape? I would. I want to. I uh, I want to do a tape, but I just got to figure out like, how it, how does it, you know. I, I know it still can be, can be worked because you are still doing mixtapes like you said. Mm-hmm. But I just had to feel how, how I would get it out there doing what I like to do with tapes. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, you like to do various things and you're successful at various things. So even the Soul Tapes turned into said album in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which I wanted to ask you too, Did you have? do you have a favorite? Of the Soul Tapes? Yeah. It's between two and three. Well, Situationships like- is on two. Situationships is on two. Yeah, two is the one. Two is two is solid yeah, two all the way through. What I like about end, three was, was like I I just I could just for me I could just feel my growth. How have you been able to maintain your elite level of lyricism for two decades plus? Before I was even in the game. That's all I used to do. Like, it was just like practice wordplay of ways of saying things and metaphors. And I think my first favorite rapper was Big Daddy Kane. So any anybody that was a favorite of mine, it was all, always because of how they could play with words or and still do the other things too, still be cool. Still be fly, still the chicks like them, still, you know what I mean? So I never wanted to be those other things without being able mm-hmm. to say some say some fly shit too mm-hmm. or say something and like, oh, he said it like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or say it metaphorically. Pretty much a lot of people, when they're making music, you know, besides telling your life story, you're basically saying the same thing over and over. <laughs> you just got to find new ways to say it, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Or cooler ways to say it or new ways that you're doing doing what you're doing. So that's what it was about for me. And I think um, that's, that's and also too, I was able to like flip current events a lot. Mm-hmm. There was a time that people like started hating it a little bit. Well, too. Like, it's been a running like, joke for some years. Like <laughs> yeah. when something will happen, yeah, I see it on like the grand like Fab yeah. in the studio, like yeah. making the bar about. But know, people the loved event. it and hated it at the same time. Like it was like, like funny because it was like, yeah. yo, you got teased for it, but it was like, yeah, Fab would say some yeah, shit like, like that. Once and, uh, the Chris Rock and Will Smith shit happened, yeah. like first thing people do is run to the internet and say, yeah, yeah, "That's gonna yo, be in a Fab bar by Monday." Like I used to really do it. Like it was. Really, my thing, and then I like got away from it because they was teasing me about it. I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna do no current event bars now, man. Y'all spoiled it. Y'all uh, get now. Y'all love them. Y'all wanted them. Y'all want to say them, 
But now I'm not gonna give them to y'all since y'all wanna fucking fuck with me about them. <laughs> um, just recently, Drake on social media really paid homage to you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like his generation, the ones that we know as real lyricists and rappers all hold you to that regard. Like, what, what does that mean to you? That's cool to, um, to be acknowledged um, in, that, in that way. Um, Drake has shared, and other people have told me recently in, from Toronto, and I'm like, yo, you used to host this thing, and the whole city would be talking about everything. And he was telling me that stuff, too. And I was just like, damn, I didn't even know that I had that. You know, I know, you know, you go to a party, it's the parties, but I didn't know my impact or my influence. And um, it also, when I get that from, like, you know, either peers or people who are coming up, um, behind me or, you know, was was fans and stuff like that. It also lets me know, like, when you have your time, like, you got to make the most of your time. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is your time that's going to lead to what Drake is doing in this time, saying that you, mm -hmm. you you know, inspired or you, you, you motivated. He's telling me, oh, we went and got two ways because you got, because <laughs> we seen you in a video and breathe with the two. I went and got the Adidas jacket that you, you know what I'm saying? We didn't even know that our influence was doing some of that at that time, but it was because it was your time. You was the guy of that time. When Big Sean told me on that date that you said where the first album came out, September 11, Big Sean told me, yo, you and um, Jay-Z dropped that day. I went and got your album, wow. Fab, because you were closer to uh -huh. my, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, now, of course, as he grew in no music, of course, Jay is For Jay. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, everybody is, 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 is a fan of Jay. But, like, he was tapped in because he was like, yo, Fab was closer kid, yeah. to, to me and my, you know what I mean? And, like, he shared that with me. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I would have never known that. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably so many stories of that. That's why I said, like, when they, they, they give you that, you'd be like, damn, I had my time. Like, I had a time. Being a vet now, like... What are your thoughts on responsibility of vets in the rap game um, as far as relationships with the younger generation? Being a vet and the OG in this kind of game now. Do you like being called? I hate being called OG. Um, I think you created young OG too. A, that's another. Yeah, fab I felt group. I feel like I'm an OG creation. just because I'm uh, because of age, and they yeah. used to always say hip hop is a a young man's game. So yeah. I felt like an OG in that way. But I also felt like I was a young OG because I wasn't in the OG sense of like whole like you know how like high school is. I felt like I was a sophomore <laughs> versus like like a super Coven senior and was the seniors yeah, yeah. and like you know what I mean. And then maybe uh, Kiss and them was like uh, juniors, uh, juniors. Yeah. and then like I, you know what I mean. So like that's how I was in a young OG camp. But I do feel like you know I'm an OG in the game just for how long. Oh, hundred percent done. It's not a lot of guys who get, get to do. What we do today. Also saying it was a young man's game. It's a lot of guys who had three years and you you know, they had three strong years and they, you know, great hip hop staples. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So for somebody to having be a ten long, year run in hip hop yeah, is like it's, a, it's, 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 we don't we don't we don't easy. appreciate yeah. or say how how hip hop changes every couple years, two or three years. So for you to have a ten year run means you've changed three times Russian. or been able to sustain the change. Um, so for someone to make it 10 plus, right. like it's, it's, right. it's minimal. Right, very. 
and I and I, I so I take the I <laughs> it do be funny when sometimes sometimes you feel like the way somebody say OG be like you trying to call me old right nigga? like you know what I'm saying like or or what's the other one unk unk, unk is another one that's unk. a little unk might sound worse unk. than OG unk. I don't like unk <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Unk, we kind of feel a little Snoop funny. Unk. Snoop is Snoop, Snoop the, named himself Unk. Yeah, Uncle Snoop. Yeah, so he Unk. named himself Unk. Yeah, I don't like Unk. But when they go around, yo, Unk, let me get you. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Damn, you trying to just put me like in a different bracket when you call me Unk? Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's like us walking around calling somebody Whippersnapper or something. Nah, like, yeah, don't call me. Don't even call you Young Buck. Or like I, I wouldn't yeah. call. I wouldn't walk up to. A younger dude and yeah. just call him like some youngin. Your, I'll like, take you know some of your broads, whippersnapper. Yeah, right. You know what I <laughs> mean? That's a, don't 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 turn me into crazy unk now. You know what I mean? Um, are your kids familiar with Gangsta Girls? You think they listen to the Tyler? I don't know the no. Tyler. My son is fifteen. Uh, he may have some connection to you and Gangsta Girls from Uzi. Okay. Cause he liked Uzi. Okay. Uzi was one of his um, one of his favorites. No, he was at one point was his favorite rapper. Let me be clear. One year, yeah, I brought my son to meet Uzi in the studio for his birthday, and um, that was when he like Uzi was his favorite. And Uzi like you know just showed him mad love. He even. Yeah, I think he he gave my he gave my son five thousand dollars. Wow, I'm like. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you made it tough for you. We ain't giving my 13-year-old, like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? But he was just that. And that's like, one thing about it, that's like creating a memory for a kid that for is sure. So in that aspect of it, I was like, as a dad, I was like, what are you doing? But in the aspect of like an artist meeting, uh, uh, with my son meeting his favorite artist, and he gave him $5,000 for his birthday, um, that's a memory. That's a moment. You know what I'm saying? And it made my son feel uh, good. And my son too. You know, he he spent our money, so he probably still got about forty eight hundred of that. Yeah, I was gonna ask what happened. <laughs> what happened to the five thousand? Yeah, he still got it. He still <laughs> stashed in a sock drawer, probably like forty seven fifty. Well, I think we need to marinate and come up. People always hit us and say they want another. There's no competition, but I think we should. I'm gonna create something new. I do. I love creating, and I love for the tapes to. I like trilogies. I don't know if anybody. People always yeah. keep asking me to do more of the tapes that I've already done three of. We could cook up some. I, I, I don't know what that is. You, you might be able to name it. You know what I mean? You, yeah, you I'm name a, the. When you said when we talked the other day, I started thinking about some things. So I got some ideas. Mm -hmm. Run some names by you. And like that, we gone. This has been an Audible Original, produced by Colabo Inc. Society, hosted by DJ Drama, featuring Fabulous, executive produced by Kenya Barris, DJ Drama, Wheezy WTF, Layton Lakeshow Marson, Audible Executive Producer, Joshua Poole, produced by Roy Farrell, Kristen Alcala, consulting producer, Jamie Nelson. Production was engineered by Alex Anderson and WTF Media Studios. Sound design and mixing, Michael Bellavo, edited by... Alex Anderson of WTF Media Studios. Edited by Jamie Nelson. Written by Dustin Smith, F.A. Guy, and Damilare Sunoiki. 
Original music by Don Cannon. Researched by Dustin Smith. Talent booking by Marquetta Moore. Production lawyer, Eric Spiegelman. Production accountant, Kristen Johnson. Production assistants, Devin Kruger, Victoria Larte, Tiana Johnson. Head of Audible Studios, Zola Mashariki. Executive Vice President, Head of U.S. Content, Rachel Giazza. Copyright 2023 by Calabo Productions, Inc. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Audible Originals, LLC. 